Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to introduce you to our new sponsor, who is called Mercury Neuro. So if you haven't heard of them before, they're doing amazing things in the coffee machine game. They're out of Melbourne. They're incredible engineers and designers and fantastic quality coffee equipment. So Mercury Neuro is actually a coffee machine, optimizes performance, maximizes results for your coffee extraction, milk texturing, and also an accurate hot water delivery. It's exceptional, I've seen it in person. Jordan, who's the CEO, is an incredible guy and his team of engineers and designers are doing fantastic work. So check them out at mercuryneuro.com.au. Now, with the show. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It is great to have you listening on board. Today, I really wanted to talk to these boys for a long time, so it's fantastic to have them on. I've been sort of close to the health market for the last three or four years with, with different brands. And this brand, as I was just saying to the boys, is one of the most exciting that I've seen for quite some time in Australia. So it's fantastic to have... Ben Carson, sorry, Ben Day, Sam Carson. I'm sorry, boys, I mixed up your names. That's um, all right. You know what? You'd be surprised how many happen. All the time, mate. We get called partners and everything, so we're pretty used to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the great brand that is Asahi Brothers. Um, boys, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, thanks. So we're just, you know, we're just talking a bit about um, before the podcast about you know how you guys started started the brand. Um, the thing I love about um, the, uh, the brand is the fact that it is doing really different models and it's not cookie cutter uh, in every single store that you do. And I think that's really, really smart as operators, you're doing that. Uh, I want to get into that into the podcast in a little bit, but I want to start out with um, how did you guys start out with the brand and in hospitality itself? Sam, do you want to go first maybe? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess a little bit about myself personally. Um, I uh, have always been a lover of business. Um, I actually come from a track and field background. Um, I guess an athletic background, which has been really nice. I started track and field when I was eight years of age and then um, pretty much did that until the age of 19. And I was like, you know, I can't do any more laps around a freaking oval. So what can I do? Where can I put my love and passion towards? And um, it was, it was, at the age of 15 where I really started to recognize that I loved business because there was this business management course at school and you had to create an idea and execute an idea. And I just wanted to keep creating an idea and executing ideas during school. And the teacher was like, dude, you need to chill out. You've only got one idea. That's it. Um, and it was at that point where I was like, no, when I gave up track and field, where can I put all of this, all of this energy and desire and ambition? Um, and then I started to look into the gym space. Um, and I guess to speed up that process, you know, I, I ended up uh, purchasing into a uh, franchise called Snap Fitness um, out in Cleveland. Um, and that was a really rundown gym when we purchased it at the time. It had around 500 members. Um, and then we turned the club around like there was no tomorrow. And we ended up with around 1750 members. Uh, once we wow. finished a few things with the fit out and we hired new staff members and we changed our marketing and branding strategy. Um, and after running that gym for around five years, um, once again, I got a little bit stagnant. I was like, I need to, once again, like I've got the gym down pat. I know what I'm doing there. I want to be able to spice up my life a little bit more. And that's when, you know, Benny and I created Asahi Brothers. And I guess how that formed was 
Benny and I, we always knew each other from the Redlands days. And if you don't know the Redlands, it's pretty much like an old country town. Everyone knows everyone. And we used to go to uh, Noosa with our ex-girlfriends at the time. And um, yeah, one year we, we caught up and we had a genuine catch up and we really started to connect um, on a personal level. And then once we started to connect on a personal level, we realized that we had pretty similar professional interests when it came to business. Um, at the time, Benny ran an athlete uh, specific gym called Elite Performance. Um, it was one of the most specialized gyms in Queensland at the time when it came to athletic training. Um, and that one year at Noosa, we, uh, we started having a few drinks as you do on New Year's yep. Eve. And um, yeah, we started talking about the idea of uh, creating our own acai superfood bar. Mm-hmm. That was back in 2014. Okay. Well, 13. 13, so say, yeah. 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 Nice. Um, what about you, Ben? Like, obviously, you're, you guys have this love of fitness. Did it just seem to make sense that Asahi Brothers was going to, you know, bore out of that, really? Yeah, I'll look, I, if you asked me when I was in high school what I'd do, I wouldn't say I was going to cut fruit for a living and, and make bowls. So um, it was something that definitely came uh, over time. And it's something that, um, you know, we, we saw a gap in the market. That's where Asahi Brothers sort of came from. But before that, just like Sam, uh, I was obsessed with sport. Um, I actually was in the, the baseball realm and, and I went away to America, played professional baseball for a couple of years and mm-hmm. got terribly homesick before coming home and going back to university. And um, that's where I studied uh, six years and did a master's in exercise science. Um, and at the time, I, I sort of knew if I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, I wanted to train, you know, the next professional mm-hmm. athlete. So mm-hmm. that was um, sort of my stepping stone with, with my degree and, and with my experience in sport to open my own gym. Um, it's something I always wanted to do. I love training. I love fitness my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Dan said, I opened a specialist athlete gym um, in Capalaba in the Redlands as well. Mm-hmm. Um, did extremely well, ran that for nearly six years. Um, wow. As Sam said at the time, um, ran into each other and, and that's where Asai Brothers was sort of born from. Wow. And like when you decided to do Asahi Brothers, like that was health has always been a really competitive space and there's been a lot of brands that have sort of come into it and come out of it and haven't really done it well, but like other than, you know, brands like Boost Juice and and those kind of things. But was it, how did you come to the point where you actually wanted to open up a brand like Asahi Brothers when health is so competitive? Like how did you come up with the branding? How did you actually, you know, come up with the idea? Yeah. Well, look at the time, superfoods, like as much as the health industry is a, you know, a really popular industry and it still was at that time as well. I think superfoods wasn't necessarily a popular industry and wasn't something that people knew a lot about. Um, but being in the gym industry, both Sam and I sort of, we had so many clients would come to us and they talked to us about the nutrition, they talked to us about their food. And then that's when acai and superfoods and all these other ingredients started sort of popping up within, you know, within our gyms. And we sort of knew at that time that there's something new happening here. And that's sort of what sparked the original conversation between Sam and I about a business idea because we were like, look, we know that there's people now starting to do acai and these superfoods and all these new ingredients. And there was only a couple of them around in Brisbane at the time, but we had people in the Redlands, which was nearly, you know, 45 minutes outside of the city traveling all that way to get these products. And we're like, there's a, there's a massive hole in the market here. And there's no one doing like, even at the time, I know we say healthy food, but there's no one really doing and specializing in healthy food in our area and really doing it to that level um, and dedicating themselves. I know a lot of people were like, okay, this is our menu and then this is our healthy menu. Um, there's no one just saying, hey, we're going to make it, you know, a vegan, you know, bar or a dairy-free bar or we're going to focus in on, you know, the nutritional aspect of what you're putting in your body. So that was sort of the driving force. 
Um, and then from there, as I said, we, we, we found a gap in the market. We knew Redlands was going to be the space we wanted to do it. We had our gyms to leverage off. Yeah. Um, and that's when we, uh, we found the property and, and we were pretty quick to sign it. Like at the time, I remember with the branding wise, um, it, as soon as we came up with the name, I remember reading Sam in the car one day and we we're throwing so many names around and we know we wanted to specialize in SIE and I rang him one time and I said, mate, we always call ourselves brother. You know, there's Warner Brothers. There's all these great businesses called Brother. Why don't we call ourselves the Sai Brothers? And um, as soon as I said that, Sam said, "Yes, like that. That's it. That's it." And I said, "Let me meet at Nando's. We'll meet at Nando's in Wellington Point. That was the place to go." And um, you know, we sit down. We'll have a, a peri peri chicken, and we'll talk over that. And I've got an idea for the logo. And we literally drew up the logo within about an hour. I sent it to a, a sign writer that I used for the gym. They got us back the logo within probably another hour. And um, it's a real basic version of pretty much what you see today. And um, as we were sitting there, we had a logo, we had a name. We looked out the window and literally at Nando's at Wellington Point, right there was our very first store. It was sitting there with a four lease sign on. I knew the real estate agent. We rang them. And um, within, the, uh, within the hour, he was down and we were inside the building having a look around and, and pretty much signed the lease the next day. Wow. It's amazing, it's amazing to think how, how close the three of us would have been at the same time because I owned a place in Capalaba. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> when I lived in Brisbane, so I'm like, Jesus Christ. I, what was that? Have. We probably have seen each other. Yeah. Well, the one reason yeah, I love Capalaba, the one reason yeah, I love Capalaba so much. Post. <laughs> <laughs> the one reason I love Capalaba so much because it has a drive through subway. That's very it's, true. Yeah. It's still there. It's still, it's still going. Really? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never so, know how they have it. It's like a time warp. There's still a pizza heart there and everything. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the average age is still 80. But, yeah. <laughs> so true. That <laughs> area. So let, let's talk about uh, I know you guys have nearly sort of 20 venues across the country um, on the East Coast, right? So let's, let's talk about um, how the brands evolved since COVID times have happened. Because what what my concern for fantastic brands like yours was, was during these particular times where people maybe don't have the discretionary spend, you know, they, they all of a sudden don't want to worry about their health too much. They want to, you know, go to what they see as um, cheaper foods and fast foods and those kind of things. And that's when brands like Domino's and, and yeah. McDonald's and Hungry Jack grow during recessions, right? Exactly. So, so how are you guys making sure you're pivoting your brand during this time, especially since you've got franchise partners on board, you know? Well, yeah, look, during this time, when ScoMo first got up there on the podium and he was announcing the first stage three or whatever it might have been, yeah. um, Benny and I were texting each other at the time quite nervously, texting each other going, this could be it. Um, it's being real. Or alternatively, it could be really fantastic for our brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've always been very fortunate, Sean, that we run a pretty heavy takeaway menu offering. Yeah. Um, it's only recently where we've dived into the dine-in space. Mm-hmm. So that was actually really easy for us to switch all of our dine-in options and just offer a takeaway only. So that was, I guess, one of the first things that we, that we changed straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that. Um, one thing that we did, did notice during this time is just the Australian support to our local store owners, because a lot of those people that were working in like CBD locations, Mm -hmm. they were actually going back to the local suburban areas and then they actually needed food during the Monday through to Friday working week. So that was supporting 
our local store owners. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing that we noticed. Um, but we were also quite fortunate as well that we had a lot of the back end already sorted. So we had our online ordering app already sorted. We were already aligned with Uber Eats, Menu Log, Deliveroo, and we have also got some stores trialing their own delivery system as well. Okay. Um, we were going down the route of stores selling grocery boxes and the milk labs and all of that yeah. sort of stuff. Well, so little retail items that would help their bottom line and that performed terrifically for them. Um, and I guess it's a, to conclude what I'm saying here as well is that some store owners were doubling in sales during COVID during wow. stage three mm -hmm. and some store owners were performing a little bit better than what they were pre COVID. Um, but you know, without, you know, our shopping center sites, they, they certainly were affected during this time because the, the government were red flagging shopping centers and that mm. certainly impacted those guys. And we're working very closely with them to make sure that one, their mindset is strong and two, they're getting the best possible deals they can with their landlords. Yeah. Um, but overall, it's been a mixed bag of results. Yeah. Have you, have you noticed, sorry, Ben, you go. No, I was just going to say, I think from our end, um, as Sam was saying, like, I think, we're very, very lucky that from the start, we try to situate our brand um, uh, within communities and, and, and build a community hub around our stores. And that was a big thing. We only really started delving in the shopping centers maybe a year and a half ago. Mm. And, um, so, and, and we don't have any CBD-based stores. So we've always been a brand that's gone for the locations that are situated more around a residential population than we have around a commercial sort of population. And I think that, as Sam said, that that was a big benefit for us within COVID because, as, as I said, everyone was at home. And when we already had a partner community that we built and we had a great product and you had great service and everyone knew the store, they just wanted to support throughout that time. And that's been, you know, something that our, our owners have been very grateful of, but that's something that we also, you know, I guess, applaud our owners because that's something they worked incredibly hard on building, you know, prior to COVID and it paid off during that time. Yeah. Have you noticed that the shopping centres, if I can ask you, have come back a bit now that people are initially, you know, initially in April, everyone was worried that if they walked out of their house, they were going to get COVID, right? Yeah. Now, you know, I'm living in Melbourne. You guys are in, are in Queensland. We're in, unfortunately, in a really, really deep second lockdown, seven to 800 cases, six to 700 cases a day. Um, yeah. And people are out because there's, they just don't, you know, they just want to be out, right? They're, they're sort of yeah. over it. Um, have you noticed that shopping centres have sort of come back? Because it's such an important part of your growth strategy, I'd imagine. They definitely are bouncing back. Like a couple of our stores dropped by nearly 80% sure. during COVID. Yeah. And that's almost a nightmare when you're paying shopping centre rates. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of nurturing with those store owners. We actually own a, a company store in a shopping center. Mm -hmm. um, so we were nurturing ourselves um, <laughs> and our manager. Um, but it was, it was just, you know, it's about like what ScoMo said, it's, you know, have the conversation with the landlord, make sure that you guys are all on the same table because it is a working relationship during this weird and unknown time. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, they've definitely bounced back, which is fantastic. And I just hope that this, Second wave doesn't affect us too much because mm. um, we're, we're feeling it a little bit now in Queensland. I just hope that it doesn't hit as, as hard as it did uh, back in mm. March. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting as I'm sort of talking to, you know, pub owners and restaurant owners throughout Melbourne, but also into New South Wales and hearing New South Wales because they're, you know, worried about, worried about the amount of people around a table now and they're worried about, you know, that kind of stuff that sales have gone down 40, 50%. In, in some restaurants mm, and that yeah. kind of thing. So, um, 
Fingers crossed, hey? Fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly it. Mm. What are, what are some of... You can. What was that? What was that, Sam? It's the best thing you can do is just fingers crossed and just make sure that you're constantly innovating um, yeah. and that if you can't stomp the grounds and do traditional marketing techniques, that you're smashing the living hell out of social media and, yes. and you're creating content you're creating content on a day-to-day basis. Cause at the end of the day, there's far more eyes on social right now than there's ever been before. Yeah. So absolutely. I guess that's one positive with this pandemic is that it's mm-hmm. actually changed a lot of companies, marketing strategies and the way that they talk to their customers. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I often think that, you know, brands are really built in crisis times like this <clears> and it really makes them understand their brand more when they're sort of in the trenches. What are, what are a couple of the biggest learnings you've found about your brand and, you know, your franchisees and your people during this time, guys? Look, I think we were very, very lucky because we spent a lot of time in 2019 probably assessing the brand, um, figuring out things that weren't working, figuring out things that were working and starting to double down on the things that did make our brand what we thought was special and, and did make it profitable, um, mm. both for our franchisees and both for head office. So... Um, you know, throughout that time, we worked on new models like whole, uh, hole in the wall model, which is our, our smaller footprint model. We worked on food truck model, which is a mobile model. Mm-hmm. We worked on all these things and we also implemented, I guess, better systems within our stores that made, you know, the making of product easier, you know, the tracking of wastage easier, you know, the pricing and the cost of food cheaper. Mm-hmm. So we worked on a lot of these things um, very, very early. And I think that moving into COVID, um, having a lot of that, that back end sorted made it a lot easier for us to deal with the hurdles that were up and coming at the time. Um, and as long as our stores were open to the implementation of it, yeah. um, that was the biggest thing. That's all we really worried about is like, can these guys implement these things as quick as what we're coming up with them? And that's the only issue you're ever going to have at that time, because I don't think we ever had a problem with coming up with ideas. It was always like, we're coming up with too many at the time nearly. And we we're just throwing things to the wall and seeing what's stuck. And I think that was probably even, not a bad way to be in that time because no one knew the answers and what was actually going to be the best outcome or how it was going to, you know, turn out. So we were throwing everything. And as Sam said, we were trialing our own delivery. We were selling grocery boxes. We were doing contactless pickup and contactless delivery. We moved to all that stuff very, very quickly. Um, we released a COVID safe plan within our stores and ensured our staff were safe and yep. got rid of a lot of the cash payments and all of that stuff. We did that very, very quickly. So the stores adapted quickly and the customers mm-hmm. adapted quickly and they knew how it was going to be. And I think that helped us in the long run. And at that time as well, because communication was so high, it was every day we were listening to the news and we're reporting back and writing to our store owners or calling them or texting them um, that I think it built such, uh, I guess, an even stronger relationship because whenever you go through that time, I think that that's when you start to see the true colours in people. And I think our store owners in that time and our franchisees in that time really saw how much we cared and how much we wanted to help and how much their business was important to us Um, and vice versa that, you know, even if we were calling sometimes, not even talking about business, it was just to, you know, have a chat and just make sure everyone was, was happy. So I think that You know, coming out of COVID now and, you know, even though we're not, you know, fully out of it, but definitely in Queensland where we are right now, we're feeling like we're definitely sort of through the, through that initial stage. Um, You know, I feel like we've come out a lot stronger and, you know, we're ready to, you know, even now going back into lockdown in Melbourne, we're we're much more prepared um, and our store owners are going in with a much more positive mentality than originally where there was just a lot of confusion and a lot of unknowns. And I think that's the hardest thing in business. Having unknowns just doesn't help anyone. Yeah. Totally agree. Have you, um, like during this time, have you guys thought about, you know, 
what kind of growth strategy you're going to have moving forward. Obviously, we're talking about a lot of different concepts that you're thinking of, like have you thought about how you're going to move it forward? Because, and the reason I ask so directly is because you have a really sexy, solid brand. You guys are real. You guys are really good founders, right? Um, who can um, promote your brand really, really well. Like this is a very much an interchangeable brand into the U S especially to LA. Um, I like the fact that it's black, you know, you're not doing some weird green color um, as part of your branding. Like it's really, really clean. Um, you're not doing too many things, like all those kind of things. Have you have you thought about how you're going to grow this brand now? Well, it's funny you say that because when we first created the brand, we had a lot of things, mm-hmm. and over time, and over time, it was only like probably mid last year to the tail end of last year, we we just looked at our whole brand and we're like, we need to just simplify everything because mm-hmm. less is more theoretically. Mm-hmm. And so, one of our growth strategies, Sean, is to actually expand the hole in the wall concept because as Ben said at the start, we've got three options, the flagship store, bigger footprint, bigger menu offering, more internal and external seating, the food truck model, and then the hole in the wall Mm. for about a third of the price. You can have a hole in the wall concept at Asai brothers. And we hope to have the same amount of revenue as a flagship store. So if we can decrease the outlay, and increase the revenue, then we've got a fantastic model that is scalable. Mm. Um, and that menu there is smaller and it's based off the menu offering the, or the menu items that are selling incredibly well across the country right now. Super. So it, it's hard data that we know that when, once we put it on the board, it's going to work because that's what people want. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. So we want to target all these coastlines throughout Australia. Um, so that's one of our growth plans. And obviously, you know, you've mentioned the US market as well as other markets like the Singaporean and Indonesian market and even New Zealand. I think New Zealand would be a fantastic market for our brand. Um, I think the hole in the wall concept is scalable into those countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that we have learned during this time is go smaller, go smaller with those concepts because still landlords aren't really in favor of you at the moment when it comes to signing those leases, those rents are yeah. still high. Yeah. Um, they're still high and, Especially and find that lease. You can't get rid of it. You just mm-hmm. can't. And then you've got to have those ugly conversations down, down pack. So right now we're walking into, I guess the, the new fiscal year in a really positive mindset, knowing our financial model and knowing, I guess our growth strategies. As Sam said, like it's, it's been nearly six years since we started the brand. So to sit down and have at the time over five years of hard data, looking at over, you know, 20 stores nearly and seeing, you know, in every single location, well, what products selling the most? We found things like, you know, out of our bowls, it was one bowl that was nearly 80% of our sales, one flavor, one bowl. Wow. And it was like, okay, well, like, you know, you know, nearly 80% of our sales were bowls and nearly 80% of those sales were one bowl. Like, you know, we need to double down and put more effort into this because this is obviously, you know, why, why spend time expanding outward when we can just drive it down and make things easier, find ways to cut down our wastage, find ways to cut down the cost of good, find ways to cut down our staff labor, find ways to cut down our operating expenses like our rent. And that all came with, you know, simplifying the menu, going to one bowl instead of like 12, um, finding ways to then make that, that process even more efficient so there is no wastage, um, you know, and then obviously coming to a smaller footprint. So finding a way to, to, to cut down that rental cost. And that's all that sort of created this new model. And as Sam said, like we're, we're trying to actually move away from the shopping centers and the things where 
the, the, the conversation of rent and things like that in those places just isn't worth it. And it's also not worth it for the longevity of that store in terms of the conversations you've got to constantly have to just continue to, um, I guess, drive that business further. So we know that our brand works incredibly well on coastlines. We know that our brand works, you know, incredibly well in, you know, tight residential communities. And we know that our brand works incredibly well with a condensed menu because that's what people are already buying. So that's sort of our growth strategy right now. Focus on those areas, focus on a smaller model, focus on a smaller menu, do it the best, um, find ways to find the efficiencies within that and then grow. And I think just to add one more would be, um, we've obviously got a tremendous network of franchisees at the moment. So making sure that they are at a profitable state where they can become multi-site owners. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to have a couple of multi-site owners part of the network right now. And our goal is to get them to three, four, five. And then we've got a couple of singular store owners that are wanting to pursue that second and third store. And it's about just trying to focus on those guys as well and just grow internally rather than always just trying to find new prospects, yeah. Yeah. grow the babies that we have right now into adults. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're super, yeah, super lucky about that. Do you think it's going to be a challenge to get those sort of hole in the wall concepts? Like if they don't, currently exist as tenancies now do you think you're going to have to like make some alliances with some like-for-like brands and then you know you take you take 90 square meters and we'll take 10 square meters at the front like for sure look like you know our hole in the wall concept can range anywhere between 35 to 50 Mm -hmm. square meters that's theoretically what we're calling a hole in the wall Mm -hmm. um where predominantly of it is kitchen there's a little bit of internal seating and more external seating um so you can easily find a side that's 35 to 50 square meters, but we're, you know, we're also open to the discussion of halving a site and splitting a site to benefit both parties. So it's just all about, you know, going to that local area, figuring, figuring out exactly where you'd like to go, getting in touch with either that store owner or that landlord, and then just trying to mold and compromise a deal um, for the betterment of our brand and our potential franchisee. For us as well, like there's, there's even been discussions, you know, over the last 12 months of building a sister brand that's, you know, completely different to, you know, a Cyborg that sort of favours the health food industry still and maybe maybe closes up the, the gap between, you know, what we do in terms of where we're mainly cold or how do we maybe build out a, a warm option that's different, but they collaborate incredibly well and they're a sister brand and then we do carve out the space and have one sort of the other store does the busiest time than the other time. So mm-hmm. like there's things like that that we're always looking at as well down the track that might become something in the future. But as Sam said, it's not hard for us to find, you know, a good 30 to 40 square meter site. Um, and even if it is slightly bigger, we can just, most times if you can get the great rent, um, yeah. which is all we're really chasing, we have, it, I guess we have our model there of what we want to achieve every single time. Most times if we can get that, we'll just carve out more at the back, make it more storage. Um, you know, lower the, the actual fit out cost by just changing the square meter cost and make it very simple at the back um, and then build more at the front. So um, there's heaps and heaps of options. It all, all it really comes down to for us is the rent. So if we can find a, a, a 50 square meter rent right on the beach and it's fantastic, then we're still going to take the 50 square meter site and make it work like a hole in the wall anyway. Yeah, so makes a lot of sense. Who do you, who do you kind of find your target market is at the moment? Because... I remember, because um, you've got a site in Ascot in Brisbane, don't you? No, no not, Ascot, not Ascot, Ascot. No. 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 Oh, okay. Um, Brisbane, we've got Kenmore and Everton Park and Chermside. Oh, Everton Park. Yeah. 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 Um, so I used to visit Everton Park all the time when I used to do a lot of work in Brisbane and then sort of fly out oh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But like, so what, yeah, what do you think your target market is? Because if it's out of suburban kind of clientele that you're thinking of, then you can 
you can really exponentially roll this product like this brand out pretty quick, right? If you can, yeah. Sure. yeah. Look, it's, you know, typically it's sixteen to thirty-five year olds, predominantly female. Yeah. Um, but in saying that as well, we are starting to see a shift where a lot of males now going into our store because they want to look after their body. They want to lead a healthier lifestyle and just eat healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, So originally when we first created the brand, the girlfriends were taking in the boyfriends, um, which is super interesting. Um, Or alternatively, the boyfriend wouldn't even get out of the car. And then you would have to order through the girlfriend. <laughs> it was like, it was mega intimidating for the guys. It was mega intimidating because I think there was a, a huge stigma attached with acai when it first came out as quite a feminine product. And I think yeah. that that's one thing that I think Sam and I helped do is I guess change that stigma a little bit by having two male, you know, faces yeah. for a brand like that. And I think it's taken five it's years taken five or six years, years yeah. but totally we're definitely great. starting to trend where would I think we're at 40, 60 split now, oh, male, female, whereas originally wow. we would have said 80 or 90, 10 or 20, you know what I mean? So it's definitely changing. My favorite moment is when a bunch of traders Tradies, yeah. come in and they're like, you know, can I get the espresso bliss or can I get the berry delicious? Um, <laughs> make that extra large. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's fantastic, mate. And, and you know what the biggest thing is as well that we've learned is that now that we've dabbled in the warm menu space and we've created lines like burgers, vegan burgers, and vegan tacos and things like that. We did a side We made a side gin. Like we did a lot of things as well that have yeah. been quite, you know, unique within the space and made it, as I said, less intimidating. It made it feel like it was, I guess, a brand for everyone. Yeah. But even with like the burgers and the tacos that actually appeals like, yes, it obviously appeals to a younger uh, demographic, but you'd be surprised how many 50 year olds want to eat a healthy burger, want to eat a healthy taco. You know, Mm. it's really interesting. Um, A couple of our franchisees, uh, they're a little bit older. Um, and you know, they're super pumped about those new menu items. They're having them on a day-to-day basis. They're then telling their friends and family who are a lot older and it's just starting to spread throughout the older community, which is fantastic. One of our greatest moments is when an 85 year old, you know, comes up to the counter and goes, can I have an acai bowl? You know, that's just cause you're not only are you targeting the 12, 16 year old, you've also got the other end of the spectrum where they're just like, they've just found this berry. Mm. and they want to have some healthy food and they're 85. It is just fantastic. Um, yeah, it's just fantastic to see. But, yeah, 16 to 35 would be the ideal market. Yeah. I've, I've really thought that play into vegan, the vegan concept with the vegan tacos and the vegan burgers has been really, really smart as a differentiator with you guys over the last month or however you've launched that product. I know it's pretty new. What, what made you think, because I've... I've talked to a lot of, um, I talked to a vegan consultant this week in South Africa who's just doing vegan consultancy with brands. I think it's really, really smart. I talked with um, uh, Michael who owns a brand called Fable Foods, um, which just touched shiitake. Amazing. Well, there you go. So he's awesome, right? Like, how did you guys know when you were going to launch that to your brand that it wasn't wasn't just going to be a fad? It was going to be something that was going to, go through and actually be a proper product range you could offer? Look, I think like we take a lot of time, like that menu we started working on probably nearly eight months before we obviously released it. And it's something that we talked over a lot. We watched, we were very lucky as well that the vegan industry or the plant-based industry has really sort of taken off. And I think it's with, with things that have happened over the course of the last 12 months, more and more people have, you know, 
hyper aware of that type of food and, and what it looks like and, and the benefits of it as well. So and because we've sort of set ourselves in that market for six years now, when it's no different. It's no new thing for us. So I think that um, we're very lucky that at the time you had some big players like, you know, the grills of the world and the Hungry Jacks and the McDonald's and stuff like that of the world playing with these vegan burgers already. And you saw the popularity for those guys. They wouldn't put it on as a, a staple within their menu if it wasn't you know doing quite well. So the burger sort of a, a smart idea for us. We just wanted to take a bit of a spin with what we do. We always want to make sure that whenever we release a product, it still feels like a Sawyer Brothers. We don't want to be like everyone else. So I mean, when we said we're doing a burger, the first thing we said is if we're doing a burger, we need to make it different. So, and we also need to sci-fi. We say like we need to sci-fi, and that's why we, we created the first world's first ever acai barbecue sauce. That's actually on the burger. So we made an acai barbecue sauce, and we have a charcoal burger to go with our black and the, of the brand and. We sort of stuck with, I guess, elements that sort of suited us and just used a product that we knew was already popular. It's the same with tacos. We know that there's a huge Mexican run right now. You see the Guzman Y Gomez of the world and you've got all these other brands of the world. You know, taco is incredibly popular when, you know, Guzman released their $3 tacos or whatever they were. I think it's their best-selling product that they've ever done. So we knew, again, we just needed to find a way to make it more Osiris Brothers to suit our brand and find ways to, um, you know, present it differently. And it was always going to do well. We, we knew that. And at the end of the day, again, we still know Osiris is our, our main product. We're still going to sell more bowls. We know that every time we bring a new product, the franchisees know that. It's still going to be our bowls. But these things are just supplementary. These are things that, that might draw someone in the door that wouldn't have come in in the first place. That's what we see these products at. They're not the ones that you're always going to, you know, they're not going to outsell our Osiris Bowls but they're definitely going to open people's eyes to the other things that we can do. Potentially, as I said, bring them in the door. And once they're in the door, we know that we're going to have them as a customer because they're going to enjoy all our products. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, makes a lot of sense. Sorry. I'm just, I'm just really bloody impressed by what you guys are doing. I just want to say that before we go forward. Um, my, um, <laughs> my, um, my last question to you guys, as we sort of, um, especially in Queensland for you guys, like come out of COVID, like, what are, you, what are you looking forward to personally, you know, post-pandemic for both of you, either brand-wise or, or yourself as, as great I think, um I think brand-wise, like, we can't wait to actually roll out a new summer menu. Um, stay tuned for that because that's going to be off the charts. Yeah. Um, sure. We're going very local, um, very local to give everyone a hint. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also we're actually keen to open up some stores. You know, like we're actually keen, like we're selling a lot of territory, Sean. A lot of people are interested in this amazing brand that we've created, which is like, you know, we still get goosebumps every time we talk about it. Um, so we can't wait to start opening up some stores and start scaling that hole in the wall concept. Um, we got some incredible prospective franchisees that are in the pipeline and we can't wait to show Australia what this hole in the wall concept looks like. It's just proven the model now. It's, it's, we've, we've worked so hard on it for nearly two years now and, and we, in our head, it looks and on paper, it looks like it's going to work. And I think for us now, it's like getting out there and actually, you know, proving that it works because once you prove the model, then it's, you know, then it's just happy days from there for us. And also it's just getting out and maybe even, I haven't even had a chance to, um, that's been hard as well because like, it is nice to be able to get out there and, and have a chat and see them. And I think they always light up when you walk in the doors and they didn't expect you to rock in. So mm-hmm. wanting to stay in touch our brand, every time we open the store, Sam and I are there for the full week. We work in the store when we open the store, like I'm um, Sam's on pods, I'm pitching, cutting fruit, making bowls. It's something that we will always try to do forever. It's, it's something that we you know love so much. It's nothing better than opening stores. So um, it's hard when we're not able to do that stuff because it's sort of what 
gives us that that gratification, you know, from everything that we do here in the office because it's it's so fun sometimes just sitting in a chair every day. Yeah, for sure. Get it beat. Boys, really, really exciting. Um, thanks so much for being both on the podcast. Um, Easy. What's what's the best way that people can find out about Asahi Brothers and get in contact if they want to be involved in uh, in opening one of these new stores? Yeah, you can go to asahibrothers.com. Um, follow the prompts on our beautiful, stunning website. Um, you can even try and create your own bowl or your own personality. In that, um, we do a personality test, and then it picks your bowl for yourself. So cool. I wonder what you are. I'm a very nice. Um, for some reason. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, you can go to our Instagram, Asai Brothers, Facebook, Asai Brothers Superfood Bar. And um, yeah, contact us through there. You'll find us. It's not hard. Pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah. Look Sam for a couple of <laughs> Sam and Ben, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Appreciate Cheers, it, Sean. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I really, really appreciate you listening and spending some time with me again. As always, if you can subscribe, if you can leave a review, I will be eternally grateful. So thank you so much. It's really, really simple to do. No matter what app you're actually using to listen to this podcast, always you can uh, leave me a little voice note as well. You'll see that in the show notes of this podcast And lastly, thank you again to our new sponsor, Mercury Neuro, the leaders in coffee machine making all the way here in Melbourne. Uh, Jordan and team are doing a fantastic job. So make sure you check out all their kit at mercuryneuro.com.au. Until next time, stay safe.